Welcome to Insurance Uncovered, the first podcast to bring you insurance news and perspective from thought leaders in the property casualty insurance industry. Insurance Uncovered is produced by the National Association of Mutual Insurance Companies and is sponsored this week by Holborn. Hello, everyone. I'm Kathy Imus, and today we're uncovering Decision 2020. We'll break down election trends with implications for the property casualty insurance industry. Plus, hurricane season is not over yet. How what's left to come could set new records. And merging mutuals. And Cova's CEO shares lessons learned from uniting unique company cultures under a new brand. But first, as you may have heard by now, former Vice President Joe Biden and Senator Kamala Harris are the projected winners of the 2020 presidential election. But perhaps more consequential for the insurance industry are the state elections. 86 of the 99 state chambers held elections last week. NAMIC Vice President of State Affairs Aaron Collins says a lot of pundits called for control to flip in many state houses, but that didn't happen. Uh, in fact, um, the only flip that happened was was up in New Hampshire, uh, where the Republicans um, have taken control of of one of the chambers. Um, so it, it didn't result in um, the shift in power that some had anticipated. Um, there's some states like in the South, like Kentucky uh, or Mid-Atlantic, like uh, West Virginia, that uh, expanded uh, some of their uh, conservative supermajorities. Um, so again, just sort of a surprise uh, from from what potentially was anticipated. Uh, in terms of what that means uh, for the insurance industry, you know, I think we've talked a lot about what we could anticipate in 2021 um, as a result of COVID. I've I've been talking for months uh, with our members now about you know sort of the the next wave of legislative response to COVID uh, would be in the underwriting area. Uh, I think because of COVID and other issues, that is going to continue to be the case uh, in 2021. We'll see that take shape here in the next month or so uh, during some pre-filing in the states where we'll see what kind of legislation uh, we may be seeing come January. Uh, but I do think uh, a majority of the issues we're going to face um, are going to be defensive in nature in the states and, and likely underwriting uh, restrictions uh, as a result of a lot of issues. Um, whether or not uh, we see those things in quite as many states um, may be debatable at this point, but I think, um, you know, in at least half the states, we're going to see some of those issues come up. Um, I probably should also mention there are several insurance commissioners uh, that were up for election. Uh, so four incumbents, um, Washington, North Carolina, Delaware, North Dakota, all retained their seats. And then a newcomer in Montana, uh, Troy Downing, uh, has captured the commissioner's seat. Uh, so we'll look forward to um, continuing our work with uh, the incumbents and, and meeting uh, Mr. Downing and, and moving forward from there um, to try to preserve healthy insurance markets and and move forward uh, as best we can. The legislative response around COVID-19 is expected to go well into 2021. Collins says NAMIC's advocacy team remains poised to defend insurance issues on the agenda. We as a country are still struggling with the pandemic. Um, So I think questions 
still remain as to how the states will go about their business. Uh, you know, recall a lot of state legislatures uh, adjourned when uh, when the pandemic hit, uh, or you know, had limited sessions in 2020 uh, to try to get out and get home and be safe. Um, it's unclear, you know, exactly how the states will will do their business in 2021, whether it be in person or uh, in person with restricted access, uh, which certainly has uh, an impact on uh, advocacy capabilities, uh, or you know, virtually by Zoom or other methodologies, and and what that may mean. Um, no matter what that takes shape as, you know, we have strategies. Uh, to react to all of those possibilities as do, you know, all the other uh, stakeholders and citizens interested in in their state legislative activities. So, um, but it's certainly part of the backdrop uh, of what we'll be dealing with in 2021. For more insurance-related election analysis, don't forget to check out the 2020 election bulletin at NAMIC.org. Well, with less than three weeks left in the 2020 hurricane season, Hurricane Ada becomes the record-tying 28th named storm. So far this season, 12 storms have made landfall on U.S. soil, breaking a centuries-old record. And for just the second time, meteorologists had to dip into the Greek alphabet to name storms. Hurricane Ada made a deadly sweep through Central America, and now rain from the storm has caused some flooding across southern Florida. Forecasters say there could be at least two more storms forming, either of which would break the record for most storms in a single season. It's been slightly more than a year since Brick Street and Motorists rebranded together as NCOVA Mutual Insurance Group. And on today's Unscripted, our Chuck Chamness talks with NCOVA President and CEO T.J. Obrachta about the merger and the lessons learned from uniting unique company cultures under a new brand. Joining me today on Unscripted is TJ Obrachta, President and CEO of Encova Insurance. In 2019, Encova was founded after joining Motorist Insurance and Brick Street Mutual together. Today, we're gonna to talk with TJ about the merger and how the company united two different cultures. So thanks for joining us today, TJ. Yes, Chuck, thanks for having me. Well, I think this is going to be really interesting for our members uh, and others because uh, you all accomplished something that's very hard to do, and that is basically a, a merger of equals. Uh, obviously, different companies, a little different business focus, some different geographic territories. But you know, I guess my first question would be, considering that both the companies were well-known, successful market leaders in their respective areas, why affiliate? Yeah, so just uh, for context for your listeners, um, you know, Motorist had been a 90-plus year uh, mutual domiciled here in central Ohio, writing the entire suite of property and casualty uh, lines of coverage, and Motorist had a life company. Conversely, Brick Street was a relatively new entity. It was a monoline workers' comp carrier domiciled in West Virginia. Uh, at the time, uh, back in 2016, uh, Motorist was transitioning its focus more on commercial lines, but they did not have a strong workers' comp product. So at the time, Dave Kaufman, who was the CEO of Motorist, I reached out to Greg Burton, who was the CEO of Brick Street, 
<clears throat> at the time I was the president of Brick Street, and uh, Dave asked if if, if uh, Brick Street would be interested in joining the motorist insurance group uh, to fulfill their interest in having a true um, industry-leading workers' comp offering. Uh, conversely, Brick Street, as a, as a modern line company, had an interest in getting into other lines of insurance. So <clears throat> together, the, the, the real self-interest that could have been promoted, a motorist uh, identifying and securing its interest in, in, in a workers' comp platform, and Brick Street and its interest in now being able to offer other lines of insurance. Uh, Brick Street could have built that organically, but we did not have the people or the technology to do that. So uh, it made perfect sense for, and technically what happened was Brick Street joined uh, the motorist insurance group. Um, we negotiated the terms during 2016 and, and came together in April of 2017. Then as you mentioned, rebranded as Incova in 2019 we can get into some of those details yeah uh and we will so maybe just go right to uh was there anything unique about this uh affiliation yeah that's a great question um and, and it was an affiliation technically uh, which is a little different than an acquisition as you know and there's no change in ownership there's no change in ownership when mutuals affiliate um they remain separate autonomous entities technically. Uh, what does change though is control. Uh, one mutual has to cede control of itself to the other, usually larger mutual. And <clears throat> that usually happens when the smaller mutual joins the insurance group of the larger mutual. So in our case, Brick Street was joining the motorist insurance group, um, although Brick Street was much larger than the other mutuals that had joined the motorist insurance group historically. So the issue of control is, is really set out in different contracts that are entered into between the companies, uh, whereby, in this case, Brick Street ceded control of the company to motorist and the motorist board. And that then enables AM Best to rate the entity as a single entity, allows the regulators to regulate the entity as a single entity. So through the execution of management agreements, Brick Street ceded control of itself to motorists. Uh, now what's very, I think, unique about this transaction that maybe set it apart uh, to, to a, a pretty significant degree, <clears throat> usually what happens, and, th and that happened in this case, uh, control of Brick Street was transferred to motorists in a management agreement, where, but also Brick Street's board um, was reconstituted with the majority motorist appointees. So then motorists controlled the Brick Street board. What's interesting and unique about this transaction, um, this really was a, a, a situation where they were largely equal, the companies, not in premium, but in surplus. Both companies had about $750 million of surplus. So what Brick Street uh, was able to negotiate and what this transaction looked like the motorist board, the so-called acquiring board, was reconstituted as well. And on a one-time basis, uh, Brick Street, joining the motorist insurance group, was able to actually appoint half of the motorist board. And uh, that, that, that um, component of this transaction really was unique in that the acquiring entity and this affiliation, um, or the acquired entity, I should say, was able to appoint half of the uh, the motorist board. 
Uh, it was a 12-person board, and a Brick Street appointed uh, six members of the motorist board, and motorists appointed six members of the motorist board. So that's what really gave this fl a flavor of a merger of equals, even though technically it was affiliation. Uh, coupled with that, Couple and couple with that, the management teams were integrated. Uh, traditionally, in a lot of affiliations, when there's a smaller mutual joining a larger mutuals group, um, the larger mutuals management team is not altered. But in, but in this case, we really did split the top several positions uh, with Greg Burton, the Brick Street CEO, becoming the the um, executive chair of the board. Dave Coffin being the CEO of the entire group. I became the president of the group. The Brick Street CFO became the group CFO. So there really was an integration of management teams and an integration of boards at the parent company level. And that was very unique in, um, in, the, in the history of affiliations in our industry. Truly. Uh, you know, we've seen a lot of affiliations take place in different ways. And even the motorist example, I remember I spoke to the motorist board a couple different times and you know, with their various affiliates, they would have a series of board meetings of those various entities. But you're talking, and it would be the, the motorist board having a majority in each. Right. This uh, true, um, you know, affiliation or merger of equals uh, really did result in a 50-50 split, both board and management, uh, as a consequence of the merger, uh, which makes sense given the two different companies and their profiles. But uh, uh, it is... Uh, I would say unique, and I've seen perhaps one other that um, started down this path, uh, two companies on the East Coast, and then uh, decided that it wasn't working and decided to, to undo what had been done. But uh, so, you know, with the benefit of the time now, looking back, it's been a couple of years, anything you would have done differently? Um, yes, I think there's always, um, you know, you're always able to identify some things. Uh, some frontline items. I mean, the integration of systems is something that we probably could have spent yeah. a bit more time on, you know, whether it's not just a policy billing and claim system, but you know, you're bringing organizations this size together for, you know, an integrated general ledger for financial reporting, um, an integrated agency management system, uh, the integrated payroll and HR systems. You know, all those systems issues are such a heavy lift and uh, maybe would have taken another year to kind of <laughs> work on that before the, the, the transaction became uh, operational. But, you know, we're getting through those issues now. I also think no matter how much time you put into educating uh, the, the, the stakeholders, whether it's the frontline staff or, in our case, our independent agents, um, whatever education we put in there, we could have doubled it. Um, there are still still some communities that didn't see the value of the affiliation you know just a couple examples like ohio agents in, in our case ohio is one of only four states that's still monopolistic state run for workers comp so they maybe some you know subset of ohio agents probably didn't see the real value in bringing on a workers comp carrier um, so we could have spent a lot more time with the the stakeholders i did road shows after the affiliation closed but I probably should have done those before before the affiliation closed. Yeah. Yeah, well, in hindsight, you know, that is the way it goes. And with systems, I'm sure, you know, you say maybe one year spent uh, working, you know, specifically on the systems and making sure they were semi-integrated. But you could probably could have spent a decade and still not been happy with 
you know, exactly where they were because that's every company's ongoing project permanent and forever. So, yeah, exactly. Um, so you, um, you have two companies coming together, uh, two cultures. You know, one of the things we just released our new mutual factor study where we did some interviews with thought leaders about the pandemic, you know, environment we're all in. And they talk about how well remote work is, is gone, but they also, because they're mutuals and like your company, you know, culture is so important. So and how did you successfully bridge these two cultures of two really different companies? Right. That's a great question, and it took a lot of uh, effort by a lot of folks. If you kind of think about it, Brick Street domiciled in Charleston, West Virginia, the folks in that office were very used to being the center of the of the universe, so to speak. We had satellite offices, but the Charleston was the, the home office. And then motorists, of course, the home office is here in, in Columbus. So when the transaction closed back in 2017, a lot of the folks in Charleston went to work and half the management team was gone. And uh, the same day, the folks here came to work in Columbus and, you know, there were all these new people. And uh, that triggered a lot of concerns on, uh, amongst the associates about, wow, what is, does this really mean for us from a culture perspective? Um, we could have spent a lot more time on that, I think, before the transaction closed, uh, but uh, we did what we could. So we knew we had an issue on our hands in terms of, how to reassure our associates that cultures were not going to change, that we were going to borrow from the best parts uh, that each, each company had to offer in terms of, of culture. So what we decided to do was, was really to put it in writing. So we put together a one-page mission document that, tries, that tried to really explain and reassure our associates that um, maybe culture was evolving but the critical aspects of both companies' cultures were going to continue. Um, the, the, the document starts really at a high level and says, let's all agree who our customer is. Our customer is the appointed agents. Let's all agree who our owners are. We're a mutual, so we're owned by our policyholders, and they expect us to be responsible stewards of, of their money. Then the third pillar, of course, are you, our agent, our associates, and, and, and we're committed to providing you a stable work environment. But then in the document we have, okay, let's be clear here in writing, what are our cultural commitments to each other? And we, we really tried to borrow from, from each company's cultures as we built out these eight commitments that we made to each other. And I'll just mention a couple. Uh, one of the commitments to each other is that we recognize the one-stop shop is a critical part of our operating um, structure for our independent agents. And that was definitely a motorist cultural belief in that we want to be a one-stop shop for our agents so they can come to us and get any, basically any line of insurance that they, they would, would need to secure. Uh, another one of these commitments, we recognize that none of us is smart of all of us and diversity of thought and background delivers innovative solutions. And that was borrowed from the motorist um, playbook. Conversely, for instance, Brick Street uh, was very disciplined uh, in expense management. So we have a commitment to each other here. Uh, we employ prudent cost containment discipline that aligns our initiatives with our mission. Uh, final one I'll mention is we collaborate and motorists had a heavy uh, focus on collaboration. Uh, 
this reads, we collaborate and then we effectively execute. Brick Street was very focused on execution and, um, and, and timeliness of, 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 of results. So the re- it reads, we collaborate and then we effectively execute, borrowing from both cultures. And we, we recognize a good plan today trumps a perfect plan tomorrow. So that's sort of more of the Brick Street history, um, right. a, a bias towards action. So we put together this one-page document trying to borrow from, from both uh, companies the, the best that their cultures had to offer and use this document as a way to re- reassure our associates uh, that, that things weren't changing. We were still committed to the things that made both companies so special. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. This, this new identity that you created and branding of that. We quickly decided we needed a new branding name, and really for two reasons. First, we needed unity internally with our associates. As long as there was a brickstreet.com email address and a motorist.com email address, people weren't completely on the same team. We could print all the one team coffee mugs we wanted to print, but uh, we, we needed more than that. So we needed something to bring unity internally and then also clarity externally with our agents. They still had questions. Is this a motorist operation? Is it a brick street operation? Who are these new people, et cetera? So in order to achieve clarity externally and unity internally, we embarked upon the effort to rebrand the group as Incova. Uh, that, that work went on uh, quite a bit for, for nearly a year. And then we launched the new brand Incova uh, on July 1st of, of 2019, and you know, that took a, a lot. Of, it took a lot of work. You think of every piece of paper or what have you that, that has NAMIC on it right now. You know, to, to try to change all of that, but um, we think it has achieved the desired results. Um, you can just feel it internally now. Everyone's embraced the Encova uh, one team concept, and certainly from an agent perspective, we think it's, it continues to gain traction there. Yeah. Well, you know, both those factors, I mean, the new identity clearly uh, was a major undertaking and a successful one. But then the culture, I think, is applicable to so many of our member companies. Uh, As I mentioned, many are struggling now with, we know what our culture is. How do we communicate that to our new associates, particularly if they're coming in in a remote environment? So, that one-page document that sounds like very effectively conveyed, you know, in words, here's how we do our business. Here's what we expect from our associates. Um, you know, that, yeah. that's the kind of tool I think a lot of companies can use because uh, they know what their culture is. It's just hard to define it and um, kind of bottle it up and, and then spread it around to those who are new in particular. So thanks for your time today and thanks for, uh, joining us on uh, Insurance Unscripted. Hi, Chuck. Nice to be with you. Thank you. And that's a wrap for us on Insurance Uncovered this week. Thank you to Holborn for sponsoring this episode. We'll be back on November 25th with more insurance news and interviews. Until then, I'm Kathy Imus. Have a great day.